Inga maunga whakahiwa te motu, kia ora anō, ko James Beck tēnei. I'm James Beck and welcome to episode 4 of Ngāhere. Over the years, I've noticed that a lot of us can see that our planet is a bit broken and that how we live as a people in Aotearoa is a bit broken too. And so we've got some pretty big questions. Questions about what our faith and what the Bible might have to say about the way that we live and care for creation. Questions about how we can reconnect with the world around us and with each other. Questions about why the church seems so useless when it comes to caring for God's creation. And questions about how Māori and Pākehā can learn from each other and grow together. So if you're keen, I'd love to invite you to come along on this crazy, beautiful hairinga with me, Waiora Temoni, and Dr. Andrew Shepard as we head into a remote, off-the-grid hut on Banks Peninsula, hidden in native bush, surrounded by birds, to explore the Ngāhere. The many connections that exist between creation, the Bible, and living in Aotearoa. Last time in episode 3, we shared a great all about how we should make sense of the creation account in Genesis, and how faith and science should relate to each other, and how these things might connect with indigenous ideas and perspectives about creation in Aotearoa. If you'd like to understand what's going on, then maybe go and listen to that episode before you listen to this one. I promise it will make more sense, but I'm not here to tell you what to do. This time, Waiora, Andrew and I decided to explore an entirely different take on what it means to be human and the way that we relate to creation, and what it might mean to live into our human calling. So let's get into it. Let's take Genesis 1. You know, we often read that, lots of people will probably be familiar with that Genesis 1 story. We read that story often, and people say, you know, oh, yeah, I like that story, and the climax of that story is on day six when Adam gets made on day six, and so that's the climax of creation. So everything is sort of leading up to this bit when we get made, and therefore all of that other stuff is sort of just the backdrop for the, the main event which is our arrival. Wait, is that true? Creation no. is... No, no. I didn't th- no, I didn't think so, but I wasn't sure. Uh, you, you're wondering if that's what I was that suggesting. creation was made towards humanity. No, I sat through sermons and people who were like, oh, but that is what that story's about. Wow, name and shame. Well, <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to name people. Don't. <laughs> it was Wayne. It was Wayne the punk. Yeah. <laughs> it was my uncle. 
You know, but I mean, that's it's a misreading of the story. So the story is, if you look at the way it's set up, it's, it's essentially this idea of establishing a temple. So Israel's thinking is that when they build a temple, that the richness and the wonder and the glory of God, which you can't contain, is mm. somehow represented in this temple. Can I just try and walk back what I think I just heard you say? So later in the story, Israel built a temple, yep. and that temple is it's like a smaller representation of how everything works. Yes. And that that temple is a representation of the Eden story. Yeah, and of God's glory. So so the language here, the sort of the imagery going on, is that the world is being established almost like a building, like a temple-like. And so we often read it through sort of as these Western scientific lenses, as though it's giving us some sort of Mm -hmm. description. But actually it's this incredibly poetic piece of work, and the imagery that's going on here is of this establishment of a temple, and of a temple that's then being filled with these living creatures, and of the cosmos that's coming and inhabiting this temple. And the reason they're inhabiting the temple... What, what happens when you go into a temple? What happens when you're in a cathedral? What, what do you do there? I try really hard right. not to cough. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect oh timing. Stop it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you worship, right? We worship. Yeah. Nice. That's why you're going to a church, because you're worshipping. And so the imagery here is of seabirds and land creatures and the trees and the seas themselves and the sun and the moon and all these elements that come into the creation story that mm-hmm. are gathered in this temple and the climax is not humanity the climax is day seven which Mm. is the sabbath and so therefore the climax is all of this temple then has gathered in this temple to give worship to their creator wow that's what the story that's going on hang on hang on hang on yeah have you read genesis one before yes i've never read it like that does it sound like that i never read temple for the glory and worship of the lord and I'm shook to hear that humanity was not the climax. <laughs> so when I open my Bible and read Genesis 1, how am I not seeing that? Partly, well, this is because the way in which we understand the way in which these are poetic pieces of work, we understand the context in which they're written. I guess that's where sometimes theological study or doing biblical study helps, because we understand that this is a piece of writing written by people in a certain time in history. And it's not the 21st century. I heard someone say once that if you read the first line, which is, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, if when you hear the word earth, you picture a floating ball in space. Blue marble. Yeah, that you're bringing an idea to that text, which was foreign to the people who wrote it. Totally, because so we in the 21st century, when we think Earth, exactly that. So we live now 50 years after space probes have gone out and taken that famous photo of Earth. And left some junk? Well, we do that. Probably nowadays if they go out, they probably have to program so they don't hit the space junk on the outside. (laughs) That's actually sad. It's horrifying. It's upsetting. But that that image, exactly what you said, in our mental image here, the first thing when you think Earth is that, even when you said it, first thing that pops up is that famous photo, that Earth Rise photo. Mm. Israel, when they're writing this text, which is their way of um, writing down and encapsulating, this is the way in which we see the world, and this is God's revelation to us about what it means to be the people of Israel. They haven't been on a space. Well, we, we don't think that they've been on a because yeah. they probably didn't have propellants. And so that's not what they understand. And so therefore, if you read all of Genesis 1, they're operating within their context, because that's the only reality we can ever have. Yeah. But what they understand that's going on is it's a world of the geography and thought forms of their own time. But there's also a sense in which that language and that imagery from Christians, this idea that the Bible is alive, that this is still God's word to us 
thousands of years later because the truths of that which God speaks to us are still true. Running through the biblical story is actually this God who is immensely invested in love of creation, Mm -hmm. which he has brought into being in love Mm -hmm. um, and through love, and that the purpose of that creation is to give glory, and that we as humanity are part of this cosmic choir. I mean, you think about even that idea of cosmic choir. You read Psalms and it talks about the sun and the moon giving mm. glory to God and stuff like that. Elsewhere in Scripture where it talks about if we stayed silent, even the rocks, even the rocks will cry out. And the imagery of trees of the field clapping their hands mm. and mountains. And we go, oh, yeah, that's all metaphorical. Why is it metaphorical? Like today we were wandering through the Nahere mm. and you listen to these birds and you're like, what are they doing? Oh, the scientific thing would be so they're all the singing because that's what they do because they're talking and they're communicating. Mm. Yeah. But then also from a Christian point of view, we'd say, well, actually what they're doing is they're offering their songs of praise back mm. to God. The question then for us in terms of, well, so what does it mean to be responsible members of that choir and what does it mean to hold both of those things as being true right so on one level the birds are just doing their bird thing and then on another level there's some sort of meaning that people who have been shaped and formed by the story about god and his relationship with the world that they see the birds they're doing their bird thing and more there's a deeper meaning behind it what what do those two things sort of weave together um, how does that work uh, so questions here of identity and vocation. Mm. A bird can truly be a bird when it's able to do what it does as a bird, which is mate, create chicks for the next generation, spread seed around the forest. Mm-hmm. It's being what it's created to be, mm. and therefore in being created by its creator to be, it brings glory to God. When our actions then lead to that member of the choir dying off... Wow. I mean, certainly in New Zealand this is true. You go into New Zealand forests, they're very quiet. Mm. They're very, very, very quiet Unless there's predator control going on And so there's the whole idea that If we think of ourselves here as being in a choir All of a sudden it's gone Our choir members are going quiet And so You've only got one voice And it's my <laughs> voice It's humanity's voice And oh, honestly, no. choirs with one voice No one's interested and No, that's right Because it's not a choir It's not a choir anymore a, a solo performance by us What do you take out of that? I think that birds birding well Is glorifying And then I think back to our role as people and us not peopling well so picking up on this same idea of identity and vocation a bird's its identity is it's a bird and it has a certain vocation vocation means a calling Mm. and therefore likewise for us as humans we have a certain identity in the biblical story and we have a vocation what is it vocation vocation vocation's a cool word because it comes from the word vocare which means to be called you're calling to be called into something, to do something. Bro, I can barely tell the difference between a crib and a hut. <laughs> <laughs> so this idea of being called okay. to be summoned, to be invited, oh, wow. to Ooh. find our vocation. We don't use that word anymore. We go, hey, what's, what's your, your job? job? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you make money? Which again is sort of a narrowing down, so. what's your job? And job means how do you earn your income? Mm-hmm. Vocation says... What do you do to outlive your identity? What are you called to be in terms of you, but also God's people? What is our vocation? What is our calling mm-hmm. here? And I guess the imagery I'm trying to create here is if our imagery is that we're part of this assembled choir, mm-hmm. then our imagery is to be voices within this choir giving glory to God. Mm-hmm. Now, in the Old Testament, one of the ways of talking about identity is this idea of imago Dei. Mm-hmm. Okay, and Imago Dei is, is a fancy way that theologians use this to talk about the image of God. Latin, so, is it? Yes. Yeah, good yeah. on me. Yeah. yeah, come on. 
listening. Yeah. It's yeah. cool. Imago Dei is this idea that we're made in the image of God. And often we've talked about, oh, to be made in the image of God means that we have rationality like God, or we have consciousness, or we have relationality. But probably the deepest way of understanding this idea of image of God, again, within the way in which it was used when those texts were written, was that the image of God was this imagery that when a ruler ruled a country and they left they would set up an image of themselves in the oh, temple temple mm. and that image was their image of saying this image here is of an image of the ruler like a statue sort of like a statue up. exactly okay. exactly and so the image of a god is almost this idea that god has left us or given us that calling to be you are the image of me you are the ones in the temple here who then have a special role mm. within this temple mm. to work with the rest of the choir that it therefore can give glory to me hang so, on hang on so, hang on hang on you following nah okay <laughs> should we see should we see if we can work out what we've just heard <laughs> yeah okay i think what i've heard is that Mm-hmm. The story at the start of the Bible, the creation story in Genesis chapter one is a story about God kind of building a temple. And the point of this temple Beautiful. is that it's all stuff that he loves, which is going to sort of in relationship with him in some way, like worship mm-hmm. him. And then day six, yeah. God makes humans in his image. Remember, he doesn't only make us. He makes animals as well. Birds and fish and animals and then humans. Mm-hmm. And then the special thing about the human yeah. is that he's an image. He's... set up to be a representative in that temple to worship God. Are you saying that the Imago Dei statement you just made applies only to human in Uh, the creation story, not to the others? In the creation story, the idea is that we have Imago Dei. Mm -hmm. So there is something distinctive about us. But that distinctiveness is not because we're the only ones who are loved or because we're the most important voice in the choir, but it seems to be because we seem to actually have a certain responsibility like yeah that feels we're true we're the ones who are able to fire space junk into outer space mm-hmm. not a lot of dolphins doing that eh? we seem to have this intelligence creativity and stuff like yeah. that and so i think it's honest to say it's not creating an elevation but it is a recognition that we both have the power as humanity to do amazing things like to fire us a space rocket into space and to look back and see earth rise mm-hmm. and at the same time to fire junk Right. We do both of those things. So we're different, but at the same time, we're part of the same choir in that same temple worshipping God. Yeah, and the difference, is, as I'm suggesting, is around our, our calling, yeah. so mm. the role that we have, because it seems that only we seem to have that capacity to take that responsibility. But we're also creatures. We turn up on day six with mm. a whole lot of other terrestrial creatures. So are you saying different, but not better? Absolutely. Amen. And different in terms of our call, because mm-hmm. I can't be called to be a bird, okay. because cause I don't sing like a bird. I can't yeah. swim like a dolphin. can't communicate like a whale or go mm. to those depths. I, I can only be yeah. what I've been called to be. I think that's kind of different to how I learned about being a human. A lot of my life has been like, humans are way more epic than animals, and so we can pretty much do whatever we want, and the animals can't stop us. Humans rule. Although I really liked my cat. Yeah, and and I think certainly within sort of Western modern society, that's a narrative that we unconsciously have taken on board, that somehow our status is higher and that therefore we we rule. We rule. 
and the rule therefore is a form of sort of almost subjugation mm. so this we're bringing the world into submission bringing animals into submission but you go around and talk to indigenous communities and they're mm. just like you guys are nuts mm. like why do you see the world in such sort of aggressive terms like why can't you think of things here in terms of our relationship here with our other creatures in a more reciprocal yeah. mutuality of giving and receiving and learning from one another, which of course is much, much, much closer to this biblical understanding. It resonates with this biblical understanding of being fellow choir members. Yeah. Does it resonate with you, Wilder? Yeah, totally. I know that we, when I say we, the Māori, important caveat, I'm speaking of my experience mm-hmm. as a Māori, not I would never try to speak mm-hmm. on behalf of all of us, no way. Um, but my experience is I know that, at least in my ear, we, we did lots of our learning from watching animals. <laughs> if they don't eat it, we don't eat it. If you see a bird eat it and it dies, we're not going to eat that. And so, yeah, we're taught by the environment. And because there's that kayako vibe of they teach us, so we never felt like we were better than them. Mm. We respect them mm. and they look after us. We look after each other. Mm. That's mutual because if we don't look after them, mm. we won't have them anymore. Whereas I kind of grew up like just basically being told straight up and thinking that animals were just dumb. Especially sheep. Nah, you don't learn much of a sheep. And the interesting thing is even in Western science now, now some of the advances in science in terms of animal behaviourists, so people who study animal behaviour, big words, primatologists, people who study primates, people who study things like dolphins, octopus, mm-hmm. we're discovering a lot of things that we used to say, oh, well, we have this, they don't, you know, they're dumb. My octopus they're, teacher? Yeah. It's like this guy near he is friends with, an octopus and he learns from it and it's beautiful we're beginning to learn that all those things that we used to create distance and status we're going oh actually dolphins and and uh, whales use this incredible form of communication and Mm. oh primates use tools and oh they seem to grieve like one of the classics was animals don't have emotions they simply operate automatically so they're like automatons they're just instinct they're just Mm. automatic how do you make sense of things like when an elephant when a child dies and they all come around and looks an awful lot like grieving oh no, Mm. no 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 it just looks like grieving they're not grieving so all those ways in which we like to tell ourselves for a while we were different and therefore we had higher status mm. indigenous people will go like oh gee, like you've only just worked that one out <laughs> I mean we knew this ages ago and so there's a form of sort of us <coughs> in western science beginning to get a greater sense of humility some of those ways of thinking they're actually then are quite slow to then work their way back into the way we think as Christians yeah. still there's often that idea of creatures just are sort of these automatic instinctual creatures who we're radically different from and I want to suggest actually some radical similarities wow. between yeah. us and that the difference is our calling and our identity wow. we can only be what we can be and and our calling to be is Genesis 1 26, 29 our calling is to exercise dominion and rule now that opens a whole lot of questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. So humans, heaps in common with other creatures. Less different than we think. That resonates hard out with you. Yes. That's, that feels new for me, like a thing that I'm, oh. that I'm still getting used to. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is some of the ways that I've thought about 
me in relationship with animals, that doesn't kind of make sense for you and your experience. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing you say as well is that the vocation for humans in relationship with animals and in relationship with creation was much more together. And then over the last 400 years, some ideas that we sort of bought into for a while, like animals are dumb or whatever, infiltrated our sort of way of thinking and probably started to infiltrate the way that Christians thought about yeah, things as yeah. well. Yeah, these are broad brush strokes. But yes. if we're talking about certain sort of Western ways of thinking during what was known as the Enlightenment period, which creates this radical distinction between us and creatures and then like all ways of thinking that then flows into you know the church is not separate from the world so ways mm. of thinking the world still shape yeah, the yeah, way yeah. in which the okay. church thinks so the church is always living in a culture where it's also being shaped by those ideas that are going on and so over you yeah. know a few centuries we've therefore created this idea exactly where I think we still and I think if we're really honest a lot of churches if you were to go and say hey actually we've got lots in common with creatures Mm. immediate instinct would be a no we don't they're stupid i'm having i think a different experience everything you're saying makes so much sense to me that we and animals and creation exist in one temple towards one god and the only difference is like you say calling how we do that nothing about that confuses me Let's start our own church, just you and me. Why is that, Wilder? It makes sense for all of the experiences that I've had, for mm. everything that I've seen in growing up, when I've seen the way that my aunties, uncles, grandparents, mm. the way that they respect everything around mm. us, the way that they talk to it, the way that they mm. interact mm. with mm. it, mm. like it deserves respect, mm. like it's not less than us. Mm. All of those experiences mm. make more sense now and just sit into what you're saying mm. in a way that's like, oh, yeah, of course. That's so fascinating. Do you reckon like at some base level, like even understanding yourself as tangata whenua, as mm. in person in relationship with land, as <laughs> mm. a different way of seeing yourself as homo sapien, which is a person that's sort of intelligent and above I would have never considered myself above Hmm. definitely equal because I can't do anything without them. But but even there, see, that's that's a fascinating thing because, so yes, tangata whenua, I'm I'm connected to land. Mm. And then you offered as a contrast homo sapien, wise one, which of course... Is that what that means? Yeah. More meaning is sort of the, the language and sapien meaning wise, so the, the wise creature, which of course, when you're firing junk into outer space <laughs> and into the waterways and oh, into the, oh, the seems, oh. seems less and less wise as time goes on. Oh my goodness. Um, sapien of us. But of course, again, then the biblical language, so then where do we get the word humans from? Humus. What is humus? Humus, when you walk through a forest, all the leaves that fall to the ground <gasps> produce the humus which is what breaks in the soil. Obviously, that's it's the English language. And then in the biblical text, so when it says in Genesis 2, and it talks about Adam, Adam gets created. And there's a play in words there in the Hebrew. So Adam mm-hmm. is created from Adama. This is the earth creature comes out of the earth, Adama. The other way to say it would be the human comes from the humus. So even there at a Oof. language level again. Wow. So instead we use other words like homo sapien. It separates us. Which, disconnects which disconnects us. Because so we're wise, but others aren't wise. Versus the other ways of naming ourselves, which completely then embeds us again within the created world. Wow. Honestly, wow. I guess if I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is that if we understand ourselves as being connected to in relationship with and part of an equal choir Mm -hmm. created by God to to worship him, then 
if we take that to its next sort of logical step, then how we engage with the whenua and the kararehe mm-hmm. and the moana and mm-hmm. the awa, mm-hmm. we just can't see ourselves as separate from mm-hmm. that. Not even in practical terms of just like look at all the rubbish everywhere, but also in terms of the biblical narrative and what it mm-hmm. kind of offers to us. Is that is what I'm hearing yeah, you say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is the difference there that if you make it God so loved just people that the story just becomes all about us? Yeah, and I, and I think at times, certainly within some forms of Christianity, that's exactly what we sometimes think it is. Mm. So God so loved me, uh, me being I, and I have a relationship with Jesus, which is about him and me. Mm. So it's a very privatized thing. There kind of might be a little bit of a social aspect because I mm-hmm. have to love my neighbor, but I'll do my best not to interact with them. But it does become a great sort of... <laughs> because that way I don't have to love them if that, I don't interact with them. That distant love. Yeah. That passive cool. distant yeah. love. My yeah. favourite. I love you. Here's um, a fence. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You stay on your side and I'll stay on my side and we can talk about who cuts the trees that go over the other side of the boundary. Yeah, I think often that's what we think Christian faith is a sort of individual love of Jesus in my life and then we sort of live our lives and then... It's all about therefore getting into this place called heaven. So like the main story is like God so loves me and because God loves me, I get to go to the great place. Yeah, you know, and then the sort of the, the simplification of that is then it's kind of important how I live now, but only really important in terms of, say, making a, a decision for Jesus so that I sort of tick my life insurance policy. The first thing about that is, well, it's not very helpful, but, but also it's not very biblical. Our lives as Christians are shaped by the story that we are embedded in and that has been passed on to us. And a story here that's thousands of years old in terms of the story of God creating a world and then God creating this people called Israel and he makes them to be a light to the nations and then it comes to the person called Jesus it seems to me that that biblical story when we read it is actually fundamentally of this deep 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 love that the creator God has for the created world and the world being cosmos in terms of material matter and that it's not just there for us as humans but the whole creation that we're caught up in And that's us for part four of our Haringa. Check out our next episode where we'll be exploring how we should respond to all the challenges creation and our communities are facing in light of the new understanding of our biblical human calling and how that might connect to Te Ao Māori. Ngahere, The Many Connections, is a project funded by Scripture Union in partnership with the Wilberforce Foundation. Produced by me, James Beck, with creative direction from the Reverend Spanky Moore. Our music was created by the wonderful Chris William. Check him out on Spotify. Don't forget to listen to the whole six-part series of Ngahere, and if you like it, we'd appreciate you giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts so other people can find us easy as... Hey, Akuane. <laughs> <laughs>